I, I think there's, you know, there's an appetite that I'm starting to see now of a lot of youth taking risks to start stuff and look the thing is when you start something you're bound to look stupid you know you're bound to you have to be a fool to become a master and that people don't embrace that enough right like when you start something you you there's so many nuts and bolts you need to figure out that um if you don't start you kind of never get there right and so what i'll say is this right in my opinion you need to go through the chaos to get to clarity everyone, welcome to the Project Innovate podcast brought to you by the Innovative Business Association at the University of Toronto, Mississauga. My name is Hamna Shami and I'm a digital enterprise management student. I find myself getting my daily dose of serotonin from iced coffee, music, and the office. Topics I could go on forever about include feminism and the influence of social media on our society. This is Fayez Sheikh, another fellow DEM student with a minor in business, science, and entrepreneurship. I am incredibly passionate about the world of cinematography, film, and design. During times of introspection, I love to contemplate deep ideas and problems and look to come up with unique ways of solving them. Although we have different interests, one thing we do have in common is the ongoing drive for self-improvement and exploring innovative ideas in the field of entrepreneurship. As second-year students, we've realized there is a massive gap between theoretical concepts taught in class and the practical skills and experience demanded in order to navigate the business field today. As a result, our aim with Project Innovate is to empower business students with the tools they need to succeed in the ever-evolving business world. We plan to do this by bringing on industry leaders, startup founders, alumni, and maybe even you, our beautiful listeners. Brand new episodes ranging from 30 minutes to an hour will be released bi-weekly on all your favorite podcast platforms, such as Apple Music, Spotify, and YouTube. Whether you're in between Zoom sessions, waiting in line for checkout, or simply doing laundry, this is the podcast for you. We hope to empower you by venturing into the personal journeys of our guests and revealing the tips and guidance they have accumulated throughout the years. To never miss an episode or just to see exclusive bloopers, follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, and don't forget to turn your post notifications on. See you guys in the next one. Today, I have my very first guest, Priya Korkesh. How are you doing, Priya? Good. Thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm doing amazing. I am incredibly grateful. First of all, I want to extend a shower of gratitude to you, per se. You know, uh, this is an amazing podcast initiative that we've started recently, and I'm very, very pleased to have you as our first guest. I'm the first. Exactly. Yeah. Brown, brown woman, like in business is the first one on a business podcast. I will take that. I will take that. For sure. For sure. Let me just introduce who Priya is just for the listeners here. So Priya Kaur Keish is the founder and CEO of R-Wave Hub. R-Wave Hub is a Canadian educational technology company and a strategic advisory practice that was born out of a vision to reimagine education. They enable people and organizations to navigate a rapidly changing workforce because as we know it, Education and training systems that we have in place right now are not fully equipped to keep up with the exponential rate at which technology is changing our lives. In an era of double disruption to jobs caused by COVID-19 and the technology adoption, there is an immense opportunity to be innovative, collaborative, and agile in the development of talent for the future of work. 
our Wave Hub is working to bridge the skills gap between displaced and emerging workforce. They build modular, people-centric, and iterative learning experiences that sit at the intersections of technical skills, analytical skills, and soft skills. Before starting our Wave Hub, Priya worked for the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, also known as the UNHCR. She also worked at Lab B, a co-working space for early-stage startup and founders, as well as the Ontario Centre of Excellence, OCE, and the Sikh Heritage Month Foundation. Her past clients include Ryerson University, Sheridan College, IBM, Royal Bank of Canada, and the city of Brampton. Priya is also incredibly talented. It just blew me away while reading this. She is an accomplished musician, vocalist, and Indian classical dancer. She plays the piano, violin, sitar, the bongos, and an ancient Sikh instrument called the taus. She has been trained in both Carnatic and Hindustani genres of vocal training and has over 10 years of dance training in styles like Katak and Odyssey. She represented Canada at the World Pipe Band Championships as a grade one tenured drummer in the Peel Regional Police Pipe Band. Priya also holds a black belt in Taekwondo. Welcome, Priya. <laughs> what an intro. Thank you, Fayez. I am... I, I never get used to like people giving the whole introduction and I'm just sitting here in the corner. <laughs> oh no. But yeah, I thank you so much again for having me. And yeah, that was a long background on, you know, who I am and what we're trying to do with our wave. So I I'm excited to get into, you know, the meat of the conversation and, and really tug on the strings of like, you all are business students. A lot of you are thinking about, you know, like, how do I stand apart? How do I, you know, what's next for me? How do I use, you know, this degree and all of the experiences to catapult into the next thing? And so that is literally my area of research. And I, I and yeah, I'm excited to chat with you, Fayez, and see, you know, where this conversation goes. For sure. Let's just kick it off right with the first question. Finding fulfillment accomplishing goals, chasing a dream. What does work really mean to you? Oh, God. <laughs> you start off with um, the loaded questions. I think, well, I think it's nuanced, right? Like um, Tony Robbins always says, success without fulfillment is the ultimate failure. And I think that is so true because so many of us in this world and, you know, in our communities, we all aspire to a certain level of material success, but we don't consider how that feels like spiritually, you know, and whether what we're doing uh, fulfills, you know, what we what we came here to do. And I think um, work in a lot of ways is more than just a job for me, I think. I think, like I said, everyone comes here with some sort of gift. And this is, you know, it's it's deep because as much as you think, you know, you're just um, here to make a living, make your parents proud. I think it's more than that a little bit. And it, I won't speak for anyone else. Like for me, it is definitely more than that. I think, you know, there's some level of service that we're all here to do um, in what aspect it's on us to figure out. But I think work to me means... And, you know, well, you ask like three questions in one, because it's like, you know, fulfillment, chasing a dream and success. Like what do, what, how do, how do those all tie into work? I think, you know, if you were to break it down, it comes down to kind of figuring out and finding your way back to yourself a little bit, right? Like, because if you think about it as kids, we're full of life, full of 
um, energy full of all of these ideas. And then we get conditioned out of them. We get conditioned out of, you know, the thinking creatively out of the imagination because other people's version of what is realistic suddenly becomes our limitations, right? So the reason I say it's nuanced is because there's so many external circumstances that that you know may not allow you to even think about chasing a dream or, or thinking about fulfillment because you know you're probably in the generation and if you're a new immigrant to Canada the, the struggle is real you know you need to be able to survive put your food on the table and get the things done right and so fulfillment for that person is probably hey I provided this opportunity for my kids and the next generation to be able to do whatever they want to. In in our generation of youth and, and people who are trying to figure it out in this world where everyone seems perfect on social media, I think the challenge of finding work that's meaningful is being honest with yourself. It's like, hey, you know, the nuance of what like what is my circumstance do i need to provide for people do i need to get a job and if you do go get it you know there's no shame in getting a job um i i don't know where this notion started of you know nine to fives are bad like it's only bad if you feel it doesn't fit your lifestyle and for me that was the case you know like i don't vibe with being limited to one role one job and, and a, a tiny piece of this organization, I'm like, I think I'm made for, I'm the type of person who could build an organization, you know? And so I think it's it's a lot of self-awareness that comes into this conversation as well, because yeah, self-awareness with understanding your circumstance deeply, with understanding any obligations you have, and with an appetite of risk is what, you know, sets you up to answer this question of like, what do I do for work that's fulfilling, that helps me, you know, be building something more than just for myself and and allows me to make a living that's comfortable. I think that's hit on all cylinders right there. Taking that self-awareness aspect along with accountability and really looking at yourself hard in the mirror, right? Before you make any judgments of what's right, what's wrong. And really understanding your situation, because your situation is different from any other person on this planet. Really looking at it from a holistic perspective, and then what do you want to do? And what do you have to sacrifice right now to get to where you want to go? On the flip side, I'll also say this, right? Like, I think people wait too long to get started. You know, I think there's a lot of all of this, like, you know, shame and guilt that has been put onto youth for not being perfect because of social media, right? Not having the job and the comparison that they do themselves with their peers, like, oh, my friend has this, my friend has that. And and the comparison that they get from their parents, you know, Seema, auntie's kid is a doctor and she's married, right? Like, I mean, and this is a big generalization, but I, I think there's, you know, there's an appetite that I'm starting to see now of a lot of youth taking risk to start stuff and look the thing is when you start something you're bound to look stupid you know you're bound to you have to be a fool to become a master and that people don't embrace that enough right like when you start something you you there's so many nuts and bolts you need to figure out that um if you don't start you kind of never get there right and so it goes back also to intention like why are you doing this are you doing this for the following are you doing this for the audience or are you doing this because 
you know, you feel like this is something you could be useful um, in or you could add value to and you want to explore it to the fullest extent because those are two very different intentions and the way you move then becomes different, right? That segues like perfectly into our next question. What were the main problems that you have witnessed with the current educational system during your educational journey? Yeah, I think for me... Uh, like my story is this, right? Like I grew up in Malaysia and I moved to Toronto. I actually went to UTM uh, and I moved to Toronto in 2015 by myself, right? I I did not have family here. I did not know anyone here. Um, and it was incredibly difficult. But the my relationship with the education system was I was I'm the first daughter of an of a South Asian family. And so nothing less than perfectionism is expected, right? So straight A's, I was like, I was, you know, a straight A kid up to grade 12. And then um after grade 12, as I entered UTM and you know, as I entered trying to figure out this like larger question of like what am I going to do? Like, what am I going to do with my life? Like, how do I figure myself out? This is too hard. I have no clue what I'm doing. Right. Um, I was on the trajectory to med school, actually, you know, I wow. picked U of T on a whim, right. Because in I applied to university from Malaysia still. So I had no context of like, you know, Ryerson was like this or U of T was like that. And my mom's like, you know, U of T is number one, right? So why aren't you going there? <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, I guess so. Okay, fine. <laughs> so I ended up at U of T. I was in life sciences and, you know, literally on the trajectory to, to med school. And the, like, I just started to ask why, you know, I'm like, why, like, why am I, how did I even end up here? One, why am I doing what I'm doing? Because I did like, I just, I projected myself. I looked, you know, you look at, you try and imagine yourself like four to five years from where you are today. And I'm like, okay, so graduate, get a job. And then what, you know, it's like, like, I just started questioning everything. Right. And, and I didn't see myself as someone who was in the sciences. I didn't see myself as someone who was in the lab. Right. I'm like, what's the trajectory for people with this type of degree? It's utterly confused. And then I started to ask people, like why they're studying what they're doing right and again like it was just lack of intentionality people were like you know people in my chem class were like you know I just studied sciences all my life so science it is right and I took electives in you know political science yeah it was the same thing oh my dad said political science is a great career so I'm taking political science and I'm just like even more so in this question mark like if you could draw me as an animation it'd be like question marks all around right and I'm like trying to figure out like like who I am what I'm trying to study and then on top of that my parents are like are utterly confused why I am confused because they're like the path is clear. Just get a job, you know, get your degree, get a job, get married. Like what, what is there to ask questions about? Yeah. Follow the yellow brick road. Exactly. They're like, you know, follow the the template of life and, and that's it. Right. And I'm like, I, I, I don't think that's it for me. You know, like that, that probably that works for a lot of people. And clearly it does, you know, there's no shade in, in that sort of lifestyle and life path. But for me, I was like, I think it's something more. And I think the first, my first, you know, point of friction with the education system was 
it didn't allow me to try and fail fast enough within within a safe system, right? Because I had just always studied science because I like also I could, you know, like I, you know, could memorize things like, you know, logically I could figure things out. So I, I was never given any opportunity to explore like, you know, the arts or humanities or social sciences, let alone business, right? But um, I had always read business books. And that's why I said in the first question, and my response to that was a lot of life and a lot of work is just finding your way back to yourself. Like the more I, I reflected, like in childhood, I used to be the hustler, you know, the garage sale, lemonade stand kid who was never allowed to do any of those things, right? So it was like the suppressed, like entrepreneur fire who was just like in there, but untapped, right? And Mm -hmm. the other beef for me with the education system is how standardized everything is, right? I think um, as a system, it was designed in the era where it was, it was so important that the system was efficient and it pumped out workers, right? And so everything needed to be like, a factory line and designed for efficiency more than for people and let alone the educational experience, right? It's like, like, how can we just, you know, pump out people with uh, some level of education so that they can do jobs, right? Yeah, that's my second beef is how standardized everything is. On the yeah. uh, like counter to that, though, there is room, there is a necess- like a necessity for standardized testing and, you know, accreditations and qualifications. There is room for that. But I think um, how the Internet and now now this is interesting. This is an interesting time because this is a time of Web3 and NFTs. And it's it's even more on the cusp of an emerging technology hitting critical mass. Right. And exactly. now in this time. Like for me, the other question and the other kind of line of thinking I started to go down was if education has kind of been like this for hundreds of years, like and industry has evolved almost every year to keep up with the newest technology, the newest trend, because industry industry is like a catch all phrase for like, you know, the workplace and the workforce at large um, has changed and evolved so much like, isn't there a huge gap here in how we're actually preparing people and organizations for the future of work, you know? And, yeah. and so if my my lens was how are AI, how is AI and automation going to affect jobs? And how and then how is that going to map back to the skills needed for those jobs? And then the question that our wave is trying to answer is how can we train people for those jobs? Wow. Sorry, that was so passionate. I just feel like I was, that like, was so passionate. Yeah. <laughs> I loved what you said about, you know, that untapped entrepreneurial potential, because I think coming from a South Asian background as well, like it's very standardized to kind of follow that path. It takes a, a great deal of effort and, you know, sacrifice to to, you know, come out of that box and then really push forward and then, you know, create something more different that that, you know, creating something that's generational. And I love what you talked about in terms of the standardized system and how the industries are always changing. They're always changing. And like with the emergence of Web3, NFTs and the gig economy, it's really creating an environment for people to really fail fast and learn from those mistakes and then go forward, go forward and repeat the process over and over again. After defining, you know, those cracks in traditional education, how did you kind of approach the current education system to better tailor an iterative learning experience through our wave hub? That's a great question. I think 
In the early days of our wave, so I started in 2018, and in the early days, I didn't have you know a tangible product where I said this is exactly how you know I'm going to change a little bit of education or this is how I'm going to do it. Like, like I told you, I had a good grasp of what the gap was and I extrapolated forward 10 years, right? I'm like, well, if this, if this, if this is what's happening and this is what the data is saying, if I extrapolate 10 years and see like, there's going to be this, like this huge shift in, um, in everything. And so my timeline was 10 years, right. Starting in 2018, but I didn't account for COVID or a pandemic, right. Which that was a total black swan. No, but COVID actually accelerated my 10 year timeline because, um, when I started in 2018, started talking about all of this, you know, the future of work, um, AI automation, and the first event we did, we had a 150 person crowd at, um, you know, Brampton City Hall. And all I did was I, I just started to build community, right? I started to build community of people who kind of saw the same problem that I did, right? Of like, um, they understood that something's coming, but it was still far away of like, you know, it was still this very, like, no one's really talking about the future of work. It's a very siloed conversation. And, you know, in the last two years, I feel like COVID and the pandemic completely accelerated us by at least five years into the, into figuring out like solutions for the future of work, because, you know, hybrid work was a huge trend and now it's, Mm -hmm. now it's just a reality, you know? Um, And, and yeah, and now I'm, I'm seeing more and more large companies like ENY and Deloitte um, start to think about, you know, offering like a, a university or a business school um, internally that they have um, and open that, you know, to the public so that people can take, you know, courses at um ENY University, for example, as a potential wow. pathway to, to ENY. Business Week re- reported on that a couple of weeks ago. And all of these were, were hypotheses and things that I was talking about in 2018 that are now happening, right? So yeah. um, I think, um, yeah, I started with community and slowly built and listened to the consumers and and built like that. So I cre- like early on, my intention was, I know I'm going to be in this game for 10 years. I've never... You know, I've been on the flip side of supporting entrepreneurs, right? Co-working space, OCE. Um, and then I had a secure where uh, I joined Sick Heritage Month Foundation where I was the executive director. And so that's like real life hands-on experience on, you know, managing a team, managing a national team um, and all of, you know, everything that goes into that. And so, um, yeah, I, our, I started our wave without fully figuring out what we were even going to offer, right? I started with creating a feedback loop directly with, you know, the community and say, you know, if we were to offer things like this, is there uptake, right? And um, uh, my background at the UNHCR was designing programs, right? We designed, uh, I designed an ESL and math program in Malaysia at the time um, where there was, you know, an uh, like an influx of Somalian refugees. And so my background was already, I was looking at, problem solving this from the lens of how can I create, you know, these experiences and educational programs that could potentially be the bridge. I think a lot Mm -hmm. of the intention for our wave hub is not to challenge, you know, uh, or, or replace 
university or college. I, that's not the intention at all. I think a lot of the intention here is to add on to it, right? You know, exactly. like employers definitely still see the need for, um, you know, diplomas and degrees. But the question today is, and what else, right? Like they're looking for, because everyone has a diploma and degree. And so I think that that and what else piece is what our wave is trying to be, you know, that direct link to um, upskilling opportunities. And, you, you know, you're part of one of our programs right now and um, completely reducing the barrier to access um, and barrier to entry for people who would normally, you know, not take programs like this because they're expensive. And so either while you're university or after university if you're looking for other ways to build your portfolio and resume and things that you want to do hands-on that's where our wave comes in right yeah i have been thinking a very similar thing in terms of getting a diploma is a very standardized thing but why do people still struggle to get a job right why can't people bridge that experiential gap right and what else is that perfect perfect segue into our next question in terms of what do you actually feel are some of the most important skills that Canadians, young Canadians in particular, need in the 21st century and maybe even the 22nd? That's a great question. So this is kind of an idea or a framework I've been toying around with a little bit. I haven't presented it anywhere yet. So this is actually the first place I'm talking about that. But it's the idea of, you know, how when you build new habits, right? When you build new habits, you don't build all the habits in one day, right? And you don't build all the habits at the same time. It's kind of like habit stacking, right? As like, you know, James Clear. Atomic habits. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And and all of these like business entrepreneurship type people or, yeah, they, they always talk about you you build one thing at a time and then you, you kind of stack on that. I think my answer to this, it's like, it's, it's a similar approach with trying to figure out your your skill stack, right? So it's like skill stacking um, in the sense that I, I, I think, you know, resumes and the, the traditional way of like communicating who you are and what you can do, um, I think, you know, it, it exists and, and it'll continue to exist. But the thing is, if you want to stand out, you need to, you know, you need to be able to communicate and articulate very well, like all the skills that you have and not only communicate, but demonstrate, demonstrate like what you've done. Right. So the, the idea of skill stacking is you build foundations and then you stack on top of that and you build more foundations. For example, you all, you know, are in university now. So your foundation of K to 12 is done. Right. And on, on top of that foundation, now you're building experience from university, subject matter that you're getting exposed to for all these different areas. You're learning economics, sociology, you know, you're learning a little bit of accounting and finance. And so these are all skills that you're now suddenly stacking on top of this, you know, on top of what you learn at university and the experience there. I think what's very important is you go and play around and build stuff, right? Like, you know, go, you find a problem in the world, try and solve it in some way, you know? Um, and that's kind of, that's, that's a very big concept that we're trying to do on a micro level at our wave. So you join the program. The first thing we ask you to do is think about a problem and we go down to its root cause. And then now you're on the path to figuring out your app, 
your absolution for it, right? And I think personally, what you know, business students, you can do a lot of what I also encourage a lot of you know other students to do is to think about cross-functionality. I think the future of work is very interconnected. And so having business experience alone is not enough. You need some sort of intersection. So think about you know, technical skills with business. Think about data business, design and business. Like there's so many intersections you can think about. Think about one of those. And now that's another foundation that you're building at, you know, at university. And and then, you know, skill stack there, you know, you could do Figma, you could do Adobe, you could do, right? Like, so your foundations are like the big intersections and then your your how you, you stack those skills are the little things that you could do, the tools, the frameworks, the mindsets, the mental models, like um, the more, uh, more cross-functional you are, I think the more a candidate you are in the future of work that is going to constantly be adaptable and agile to every trend. Yeah, because this is not going to stop, you know. 100%. It's always evolving. We're always evolving as humans, as organizations, as the industries and, you know, niches specifically. Cross-functionality is a very great point that you brought up because, for example, I have two siblings as well, and they're also studying life sciences at UTM. And my brother wants to be a cardiac surgeon. He applied for med school. However, he also loves business a lot. So he's just like, you know, I would want to do a lot of stuff in the cardiac field. However, I would love to start a business that solves a, a problem at scale rather than serving one customer at a time, one patient at a time. How can I scale this? How can I make this bigger by taking my skill set and then adding on top of it, adding on top of it, adding on top of it? And it really makes a large difference. Absolutely. The other thing I'll say is going back to one of your questions of, you know, what are what are the points of friction that you have with the education system? Um, one of them, a big one is the education system kind of assumes that they're training people who are, who become workers, right? So they're not training with the premise that everyone's going to be an innovator in some way. And mm-hmm. that's exactly what I'm flipping at our wave, right? At our wave, we're assuming and we're creating training with the assumption that everyone's going to leave as an innovator, an entrepreneur, or as someone who creates something, right? And mm-hmm. that's fundamentally what's different. Like education will always, and like I said, there there are, you know, there are pathways that need that that kind of rigor. Like you don't want a doctor to to say, oh yeah, I, I used Airwaves, you know, free program, and now I'm a doctor, and I diagnose you with X Y Z, right? Like you want them to go through that rigorous training and like, and, and lawyers as well. And their professional careers that need this kind of pathways, but they're also like, if I'm looking at the blue collar, white collar jobs, like, um, and, and the pathway for talent into those, like that's, what's fundamentally shifting. In terms of the business and the emerging technology fields, such as automation, web three, the gig economy as a whole, what do you envision the future of work in the business and emerging technology field to look like? Oh, that's a great question. I think, I think the future of work is very interconnected. Um, like we see a lot of silos today about between, you know, technology and business people, right? Like, and how they function and operate within an organization, there's still a lot of silos. I think there's going to be a shift where you have people who have, you know, um, either 
a lot of business experience who understand a little bit of tech or the other way around, right? Very technical people who understand a little bit of business who are now, who, who will start becoming, you know, the bridge in the workforce. And um, I think that's a whole new job title and job cluster that's coming. What we're seeing today is, you know, the whole trend of visual development, you know, drag and drop, no code. Um, the idea that you don't have to code and learn you know, all of these languages to build digital products anymore. I think that's going to be a great equalizer because a lot of people were scared to participate in the technology and information like cluster um, yeah. because they're like, I can't, I can't code. So none, like I have nothing to do with that. And so, you know, the idea of being able to create websites through drag and drop that are, you know, and have Shopify stores that's drag and drop. And there's just so many use cases today that are all drag and drop, you know, website builders, e-commerce platforms, app builders. Like, I think that's a great, uh, that's a big trend that we're, we haven't seen the full, we haven't seen it peak yet, right? I think um, that's coming. I think the reason I say you need to focus on that, you know, and what else piece is that, we're we're entering a period of academic inflation, right? Like where everyone has a degree or diploma, which back in the day, it used to be very hard to get, right? And so the scarcity of it back then, um, and I mean, not the scarcity alone, but scarcity being one of the, the factors of, you know, getting a university degree or diploma was what kept it, you know, prestigious and that, you know, it set you apart in the job market. And that's why employers started to look for those credentials because they're like, this person has this credential. Okay. They're hired because they, they can automatically, you know, in, in that assumption, they can do one, two, three, four. Right. Mm -hmm. But today and looking into the future of work, the reason I say academic inflation is because these credentials and the value of them are getting challenged, right? Every like if everyone has a degree or diploma, like the bar is just gonna keep going up. Like what you yeah. need, what you need a master's degree today for, you probably only needed an undergrad for you know 15, 20 years ago. And so this period of ac academic inflation is actually interesting because. Now, this is where, you know, all of the soft skills and the skill stacking and knowing all the tools and being able to be, you know, cross-functional comes into play because that's how you stand out, right? A lot of big employers um, use now, use these credentials as um, the baseline and, and then they look for everything else, right? Like, oh, you have a degree and a diploma and a master's and what else, you know what yeah. I mean? And so... Yeah, I think the future of work is interconnected, even more so with Web3 and this whole, you know, NFT revolution phase that is very interesting. Um, and and yeah, for me, I'm interested to see like what the future of education holds when you have a future that is in itself evolving and adaptable, right? Um, like how... and. and like where we play is the, the talent development lens, right? Like how yeah. do we train people and how do we keep, how do we keep and bridge the gaps between people and companies and, you know, companies and talent and things like that. Yeah. I think it's a very great point that you made about the future of education. You know, the future of education, I think is a lot in the hands of the educator itself, because if the educators are not really innovating, they're not really moving and, you know, un 
embracing rather than you know not addressing at all what's going on in the world it's really hard to create that what else piece for the new students that want to really stand out in the job market or in in the new world to create something of value right so in your opinion what is the most important thing instructors should keep in mind to ensure an immersive and engaging student learning experience I think, well, I mean, depends, you know, if you're talking to university professors, like it's a little bit difficult, right? Because they're trying to teach like hundreds of people at the same time. But I think for us and when we design courses and what we, you know, consider are the things like not everyone who joins, like, well, I mean, yeah, people who join our programs. And so in in the context of being an instructor at, at an institution, they all don't have the same type of learning style, right? So teaching them, teaching 500 people in, you know, one way of like, you know, lecture style learning, it may not work for a lot of people, right? Um, The other thing is also keep in mind that the more you make this an experience, right? A learning experience, the more, the more students remember and engage and immerse themselves in the experience, right? Like, before we were chatting, you were you were just saying how, you know, even though our 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 waves like our program is a fully virtual program, like you felt immersed in the experience, and 100%. and that was intent, you know, that that was intentional, right? Like creating an environment. Like the the thing is, what instructors can't do is learn for their students, right? Like this, like so, if you have five hundred people in the room, you can't control how the five hundred people learn but you can control your how you how you set up the environment um whether you create an environment that has you know enough psychological safety that there can be a dialogue right so it's not just one way information transfer because all of the you know the internet exists for that like you can yeah. google literally anything so uh, what's the point of this to you know impart mental models teach students how to think and not just what to think right and and yeah create the environment where they can they're not just studying to pass exams like i think that's the other thing that you know is a huge I don't know. It's a pain point in the education system because you kind of need it, but it it also goes back to the everything being standardized idea, right? Like, why are people studying? Are they just studying to pass the next, you know, the next quiz and the next exam and then get the credit? Like, or are they studying because like this knowledge is actually going to help them, you know, get set up for for the next thing that they do? And so. Um, yeah, all of that to say, like, think about your environment. Learning experience design is actually a, a cluster of jobs that I see um, appearing at a lot of corporate. Uh, yeah, a lot of large corporations are now adopting internal learning experience design um, departments and offering jobs in them because training people, like I said, internally and constantly, you know, being on the pulse with the upskilling and what's what's new is very important, right? And so, 100%. yeah, yeah. Like I'm not one to tell professors how to teach, though. Like oh, I'm yeah, very 100%. scared of that because I'm not a professor. But yeah, that's just from our experience. That's what we've done. Yeah, I think that risk appetite, you know, for an instructor is not harnessed to its fullest potential, right? You look back at your past, and you might see one out of twenty-five 
teachers that actually, you know, created a, a learning experience that was so memorable. That scarcity is because that person decided to take a shot at making things slightly different. You know, unfortunately, what it then looks like from an organizational perspective is the instructor, the professor is taking on all, all that risk and they're not necessarily being incentivized or rewarded to do so. Right. So what ends up happening is that you're kind of just asking them to innovate in a way that might just put their jobs on the line, because if they're not appreciated by the students or if they're not appreciated by the faculty, then it becomes a very big problem. Right. Yeah, that's exactly why I said like I I went through this exact thought process. Right. Like I was like, OK, I, I, I I've experienced the gap myself. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know firsthand like where things could get improved, like. Is it, mo- is it worth it spending the time and effort trying to change a system that was designed hundreds of years in- ago and is not it's not just perpetuated by one person? You know, there are committees for everything. There are, you know, faculty meetings for everything. Bureaucracy is very real. And so I had this consideration as well, right, of like, do we go into the system and try and change stuff inside or do we create something that is plug and play that could add on to the system? Because... Ultimately, what I think is going to happen is professors are just going to keep doing their job. Universities are going to keep doing their job. And until employers step up and say, you know, and and that's why, like, you've seen companies like Google and and big tech companies say, hey, we don't need a university credential for you to get a job here. You just you need to communicate and show us that you could you could do the job. Right. And so. That's why I said portfolios are very important, right? Demonstrating your ability is very important. Um, But uh, my thesis is that institutions are going to remain institutions. And so it's on us, the people who see the gaps and recognize the opportunity to to take action, right? And so instead of trying to change a system that doesn't want to be changed, like, you know, try and find a way to think, you know, people first, think people-centric, think how do I you know include employers in on this and and how do I go far with putting you know people at the center for learning design and learning experience design I want to quote the late innovator Steve Jobs here he he mentioned a quote that has stuck with me after I've heard it you cannot connect the dots looking forward you can only connect them looking backwards so you have to trust that you know the dots will connect somehow in your future after looking at your really long resume, it would be obvious to any onlooker out who's looking at our wave hub and Priya, you know, what it, it is, what it is today. She is what she is, what she is today because of that. However, did you always know that you wanted to become an entrepreneur, start this business, you know, set out to literally reimagine education? No, <laughs> no, I, I didn't. I didn't always know that, you know, I think. I think it's it's been a real journey and and the ups and downs are very very real right like people don't talk about the mental health aspect of you know the loneliness of trying to figure it out when everyone everyone around you is just confused and questioning your every move right it takes a very strong will to to push through that and say no I I need to do this I I need to explore you know what what this this like inkling is that I had all that's all it was you know I I for me I just knew that the template of life that my parents 
kind of perpetuated for my sisters and I was not what I wanted for myself. And so knowing that I needed to figure out what was right. And I didn't know that immediately. I definitely did that through trial and error. That's why I say people don't start soon enough, right? The more, the, the, the quicker you start and the quicker you're in the motions of iteration and have created that feedback loop for yourself, like at, while I was at UTM and I already, I already knew that science was not my path. I like, I'm like the only way for me to figure out, because I wasn't one of those lucky people who just knew what they wanted to be like since, since they were a child, you know, um, I know people like that who've like always wanted to be one thing and they were it's right, rare. you know, like, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like they grew up into adults and then they become that thing. Right. Like if you were that person and you're listening, like I'm jealous of you. But anyways, <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I was not that person. Right. So like I said, complete question mark. Right. And so for me, the only way that I could have figured this out was through doing. So I put myself, you know, and, and on top of that, like the layer for me was I didn't grow up here. I didn't know anyone here. You know, I didn't have a network. And and so you start, you know, as Will Smith says, one brick at a time. You start with one brick. Right. So what, what could I do that was in my control that would put me in a position to figure myself out? And it was, you know, well, one, I needed community. So that was the Peel Regional Police Pipe Band, those guys, right? And they became my early supporters. Um, and okay, so now it's it's not just me in, in this foreign country where people drink milk out of plastic bags. That was so weird for me when I first moved here. I'm like, where the yeah, where's the carton milk? Yeah, hundred yeah. <laughs> um, percent. Same here. I'm not um, gonna lie. Yeah, and then and then it and then it was you know putting myself. Um, into the position to to figure things out. So going to events, I went to hackathons. I went to, you know, yeah, like conferences. I really went, putting then, yourself out there and getting into yeah, the experience, I, I, whether you fail yeah, or not. Yeah, so exactly. And so like for me, I knew that was my process, right? I was like trying a bunch of things. I also volunteered on political campaigns. I did, you know, volunteered at an arts nonprofit and then I, I, yeah, landed at that hackathon, which led me to Labi, which was with, with that co-working space, right? Wow. And so, um, a lot of th- doing a lot of things like in that period of a lot of, I think, what I'll say is this, right? In my opinion, you need to go through the chaos to get to clarity, right? And so that that I, that was a soundbite. <laughs> definitely chop it up and use that but um yeah that that was the chaos piece for me right I like question mark all question marks all over my parents are like like you should just come back to Malaysia you don't know what you're doing you know like all of that pressure um and then also the pressure of dealing with winter for the first time I'm like I don't what like yeah. Yeah, there are temperatures below zero right and then on top of that was like going from one thing to the other so in that moment of time, the people around me was like, yeah, she's confused. But in my head, it was, I knew, I knew what I was doing. I was going through the chaos to get to the clarity. And that's exactly what it had happened for me. Right. I I went through all of that. I did all of that. And by elimination, I'm like, yeah, politics, not my game, nonprofit, you know, not my game. This is not my game. And then I, yeah, I went to a hackathon at Sheridan college in February of 2016. And it was really the first time I'd ever been to something like that. Um, and the first time in a weird way that I, I felt like I belonged, you know, there yeah. were entrepreneurs everywhere. Everyone was like an optimist 
picking a problem and, and trying to solve it. And for those who have never been to a hackathon, it's full of adrenaline, a lot of coffee, a lot of snacks all the time. But it's such a good, it's such a, you know, like fun environment if you've never been in one before, right? Like everyone's in the problem solving mindset. And so that's what led me really, that's what led the spark of like, oh yeah, I am this person. I've always been this entrepreneur type person, but it's it's been buried deep by expectations from my family, you know, societal norms, like, yeah. And, and all of that, just the be realistic. And I say that with air quotes, um, buried all of that, you know, fire and spark inside. And so that one event like lit something that I just never stopped, you know, exploring since. Yeah, 100%. It's quite evident clearly that this, you know, labor movement towards a self-made, you know, work from anywhere, like this type of movement is definitely underway, well underway. How do you think our listeners, you know, business students, how can they cultivate this mindset of long-term thinking and long-term learning? You know, think about things in in a couple of dimensions. Don't just think about things, you know, in the short term and how it's going to affect you. Every action that you do has a consequence on multiple different levels. And so the more you can start practicing, like, you know, let's say, I think Ray Dalio says this a lot in his book, Principles, which I would highly recommend, you know, anyone who's trying to pursue business, like, Ray Dalio's, you know, great guy to learn from. And his book is something that I refer to. And I've actually built our waves like culture a lot, you know, from his book, as well as Brene Brown's, you know, research. But um, what he talks about is like thinking on, and I'm paraphrasing here, he doesn't say this exactly, but yeah, thinking on the different dimensions that your actions could, you know, affect, right? So for example, um, your first first degree consequence of something that you do is like its impact on yourself. So you eat McDonald's for a week straight, right? Like your body is not going to like it at all, right? And then your second degree consequence is like, yeah, when you, so think like action and consequence, right? Like there's that physics law for every action, there's an equal and opposite reaction, right? Um, and all of that is so true, right? I, I would just um, challenge you to think in like three dimensions. How is it going to affect you? How is it going to affect the immediate people around you? So family, friends, and then how is this going to affect yourself five years from now? That's the long term, right? Always think like, yeah, always, if you think in three dimensions, like I think you're going to get set up because you're not just making small decisions in the in the short term. You're also making decisions that may not make sense today, but your five yourself from now will thank you. You'll be able to connect the dots from like where you started. Exactly, exactly. So think in three dimensions is what I'll say. Like think about yourself and how it's immediately going to affect you, right? Like how is it going to affect your mental health, your emotional well-being? And then think about your immediate circles. So you're like closest friends, your family, your siblings, how is it going to affect them? And sometimes that's where that's where it gets difficult, right? Because sometimes the best decision for you, they have opinions of that are that, you know, that if they're confused and they're disappointed, it might deter you. But then if you're long, if you know five years from now, the decision you make today is going to set you up, you make that decision. Yeah, for sure. Right. Um, well, I just want to wrap it up right now with a few quick questions. If you had to meet anyone that are alive, who would you meet? Ooh, um, I think I would love to meet Oprah. <laughs> I, I always say that, like, I think, yeah, Oprah uh, is, 
such an inspiration, not just because of all of her success, but of I think I'm just a fan of her attitude on life and her, you know, the mental models that she's adopted. Like she never let her circumstance define her, right? In in any way. So you could start, you know, anywhere really and still make it somewhere, right? And I think she's testament to that. For sure. I know you mentioned earlier that you had a clear, like, you know, decade, 10 year horizon when you were in UTM, for example. Putting that into place right now, where do you see our wave hub in like 10 to 20 or maybe even 30 years? Mm -hmm. Um, I think, you know, it's weird because when I close my eyes, I see it clearly. And I think that's like a founder thing. But um, I think in 10 years, you know, I, I, I see us, you know, being like leaders in the space of, you know, upskilling and reskilling, not just people, but we are probably already working with the largest companies in the world um, on reskilling their workforce, right? I think there's the other gap that I'm I also want to have a role in is destigmatizing technology, right? I think um, there's a lot of stigma around AI and robotics and that it's going to completely you know flip the world and take all our jobs. But I think there is a case to be made where AI and robotics could actually augment workflows and the workforce to enable us to just be more human, you know, think more, be creative more, imagine more. Um, And so, yeah, I I think in 10 years, our wave will have like a physical hub that's like a technology hub where people can come, you know, play with tech and and learn. And yeah, it's kind of like a co-working space of the future in a in a in a core case. You heard it here first. <laughs> Along with all of our programs, right? Like I hope we're yeah. I hope we're a global player at the time. And and like I said, this is still very early days of all of this stuff, you know, future of work, workforce development. Yeah, I just I hope we, you know, we are able to move the ne- move the needle a little bit and set up the next generation for success when it comes to um, entering and navigating the workforce of the future. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I can't wait to see you on your journey. Quick R-Wave Hub plug here, though. So if you are someone that is looking to learn a little bit more about entrepreneurship, start an online business or a side hustle, or even just looking to build digital projects, but just don't have any idea where to start or have no coding experience whatsoever, no Code and Marketing Fundamentals was created by the team at R-Wave Hub in partnership with the Government of Ontario, Ministry of Labour, Training and Skills Development. They offer Ontario residents training in marketing, no code, and exposure to art and entrepreneurship. They are currently offering a free six-part live virtual course for aspiring digital marketers and budding entrepreneurs. Speaking from personal experience here, I am currently enrolled in their course and I have had nothing but an incredible learning experience that has over-delivered on all cylinders. And I can't wait to see what's next. I have found this course, you know, the instructors, the former R-Wave Hub alumni and resources made available to me throughout this course, not only incredibly insightful, but insights that I can take away today and implement today. This course is hands-on and allows you to create as you learn. I would highly recommend it to everyone. Plus, it's free. So to get a head start on your career, sign up for R-Wave Hub's waitlist to be notified when course enrollment opens again for the spring cohort. Well, Priya, we've arrived at the end of this episode, and I want to thank you for your time and your attention. This was an incredibly insightful episode. I've learned so much here, and you've been nothing but an amazing guest. Thank you for coming on, teaching our listeners and myself about your experiences. 
in navigating the business world as you are also transforming the future of work and education as it, as it is, right? This was amazing. Thank you so much for having me. I sincerely appreciate the opportunity. And yeah, I hope you continue to have, you know, if you stick around for the course that you have a good experience throughout. And yeah, I, I, I look forward to the episode. I hope all the listeners, I wish you the absolute best. You know, I am uh, rooting for you and yeah. How can our listeners interact with you or connect with you if they're interested? You can connect with me on LinkedIn or Instagram. It's just my first name at P-R-I-E-E-Y-Y-A. There are two E's and two Y's. And yeah, no one else spells their name like that. So you'll you'll probably be able to find me on Twitter. It's at Our Wave Hub, O-U-R Wave, W-A-V-E Hub, H-U-B. Perfect. Lastly, for all our new listeners out there, do not forget to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on all our social media platforms. See you guys in the next one and don't stop innovating.